So uh, I just wanted to say something real quickly. Uh, yesterday afternoon, or yesterday, of course, was the women's retreat, and uh, hopefully many of you women were able to go. It was a great retreat, apparently. I was not here, obviously, uh, not being a woman, but my, uh, my wife was, and she uh, came back with glowing remarks, and uh, before she had gone, uh, she knew that she was going to be interviewed, and we were just talking about that, and I, I said to her, don't, don't worry about telling everybody uh, how great you think I am, and um, <laughs> to which she said, don't worry, and so... Um, but she said it was great, and so uh, uh, so glad that so many were able to be here uh, and, and, and to hear from some great women, and uh, including including my own bride, if I will. So uh, we're going to continue in our look now at uh, the letter to the Colossians, and so uh, this morning we'll be looking at the twenty fourth verse of the first chapter and uh, reading through the fifth verse of the second chapter. I invite you uh, to listen now as we hear. This, these words of Paul and this word of God. Paul says, I am now rejoicing in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am completing what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. I became its servant according to God's commission that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery that has been hidden throughout the ages and generations, but has now been revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is, it is he whom we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching Everyone in all wisdom, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil and struggle with all the energy that he powerfully inspires within me. For I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those in Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. I want their hearts to be encouraged and united in love so that they may have all the riches of assured understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And I am saying this so that no one may deceive you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, and I rejoice to see your morale and the firmness of your faith. In Christ. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Glorious God, I pray now that the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts, will be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. This uh, particular sermon series that we're doing on Colossians has a subtitle, which is a different kind of community. And one of the things I've been thinking about is the fact that that could really be defined in two different ways. Uh, perhaps, uh, perhaps it could be defined as different than what ZPC has been before, or, or maybe it could be defined as different than the other kinds of communities. Not, not other faith communities, but other kinds of communities and groups that we see in our culture and 
I, I suppose it'd be a little bit edgier for me to tell you that the answer is yes, but, but the reality is when I was thinking about a different kind of community, I was really just thinking about how, how are we called to be different than the, than the community that is around us and the culture in which we find ourselves. And You've probably heard a couple of these at least that, that we're not called to primarily try and be a, a group of entertainers. We're not about being entertainment, if you will. It, it's very easy, and I think pastors are certainly uh, willing to, or oftentimes tempted by this, to try and be as entertaining as possible so that people will come in and be here at worship. And while I, I don't think that our goal is to try to be as boring as possible, I, I do think that, that we need to make sure that we always realize that first and foremost, we are not called to be a, a community of entertainers. Nor are we called to simply be kind of a social club, if you will. I mean, certainly I hope and pray that you have friends here, that you are, have brothers and sisters in Christ, but but as we talked about a little bit last week, our, our call is not to come in here and just find people uh, with whom we agree on everything or, 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 or who we especially enjoy being around, but, but rather for us to kind of see that we are a, com a community that is on a mission together and that that speaks to much more than just being a group of friends. And so as we've been listening through Colossians, we've seen that as Paul starts to articulate what a different kind of community is, he begins by saying that we are supposed to be a community of people who are shaped by gratitude. That's what we talked about a couple of weeks ago, a people who can be thankful to God in the good times and in the difficult times. And then last week we talked about the fact that we are supposed to be a reflection as this different kind of community of the image of the invisible God, who is, of course, Jesus Christ. And that we are actually called to practice that, right? That you all are, are teammates, if you will. That this is a, a practice gem of sorts for us to, to be able to see and to be shaped into what it means to be an image of God so that we can then go out into the world amongst thousands of other types of images that are trying to make claims on people's hearts and allegiances and to truly show them the real image of the Almighty God. Which brings us then to this passage this morning. And Paul here kind of jumps on quickly, and he jumps into it quickly by saying, by modeling, I should say, what it means to, to suffer, that, that, that sometimes... Being a follower of Christ means that you are going to have to struggle. And then he, and then he goes on to say that, that one of the things that we need to do is mature and grow up and that we need to understand that, that Jesus Christ is not just around us, not just near us, but is actually inside of us and that we have to grow in wisdom as we try to understand what exactly that means. And he's not done then because he, he says also that we are called to be united in love, that we are supposed to be growing and what it means as a, as a different kind of community to be growing tighter and more and more united in Christ's love. Now those are all great things. And my guess is if I were to ask you, how many of you think 
that we should be united with one another in love? How many of you think that, that we should understand more deeply what it means that Christ is alive within us? How many of you think that sometimes following Jesus means we may struggle, may even suffer, that most of you, if not all of you, would raise your hands and say, absolutely. But as I was thinking about all of those things, I realized that for me at least, and perhaps I'm alone, these things feel a bit like a checklist. They feel a bit like a, a list of two do's. Do this, do that. And if you do these things, then you're going to be in, in good shape. And, and quite honestly, if I can be so honest with you, I have to tell you, this is a part of the reason why I have oftentimes struggled with Paul's letters. That whenever I read one of Paul's letters, I oftentimes feel like there's all these checklists that I'm supposed to do. And, and, and really, it doesn't give me much energy or excitement. It just makes me feel like I've got a long way to go, and I have a lot of things to check off the list. And last week, I told you all that I suffered before seminary with really wanting to dive much into Scripture with really wanting to engage in Scripture, and this is really a part of it. Because it simply felt like it was just a bunch of things for me to do in order to make sure I was going to end up going to heaven. And it wasn't helped by the fact that oftentimes when I was growing up, people would tell me, and I, I, I hope this doesn't offend people, my guess is there are probably some of you who have said this before, that the Bible is a manual for life. And, and while I understand what they're saying, I have to tell you that the Bible being a manual for life has never done much for me. I mean, manuals don't really excite me. I mean, when was the last time you were like, I am really bored. If only I remembered where I put that dishwasher manual. Oh, I love reading that thing. Manuals just kind of make you feel even more like the Bible, it seems to me, is a, is a checklist. Okay, if something's wrong, here's a, let me troubleshoot this. Let me, let me do this or do that. Not only that, but of course, once you read through a manual, well, you don't need to read through it anymore because you figured it all out. And so texts like this sometimes, and sometimes these epistles, when I first look at them, they, they feel a little bit like that, which is why... As I've begun to look at this passage and passages like this, I have been somewhat enamored by the way that Paul describes things. Now, I'm not entirely sure if you heard this or saw this, but did you notice some of these words as I was reading it? Words like mystery. That's in there twice. Words like treasure and riches and hidden. And in some versions it says secret and struggle, and suffering. And as I was reading through those words, I realized that those words sounded much less like a manual and much more like one of my favorite movies of all time. Now I'm going to see, I should have asked the PNC this, I'm going to see whether or not you know what movie I am by describing it. And if you didn't, and if you don't, and if there's enough of you who have no idea what I'm talking about, I may realize that this is not the right call for me. So let me, 
Let me give you a clue, which is that a part of the reason why I love it is because my life in some way was akin to the movie when it came out. It came out in the summer of 1985. So I know that there are a few of you who are immediately opted out of this. So the summer of 1985, it took place where I was living, which is in the Pacific Northwest. It's about a group of adolescent boys, which I was at this time, who were very close to one another. Okay? And one of them was about to move away, and I was about to have to move away from the Pacific Northwest. Can you tell me what movie you think it is? Yes, sir. Yeah. The Anatomy? No, it's not Lean on Me. That's a good guess. What else? It is Goonies, but that was a great guess. It is Goonies. Can I? Why are you clapping? This is a... This is an instant classic. My wife completely disagrees with me, but I assure you, this is a great movie. And if you don't know about it, A, rent it, or rent it, what am I, old school, right, 1985. Get it on Netflix, okay? And and let me just briefly tell you what this is about. It's about, like I said, a group of boys. One of them is going to have to move away, okay? And all of a sudden, they discover this map that has been hidden to them. And and they begin to realize that this is a map that's supposed to lead to a secret treasure, the treasure of One-Eyed Willie. I'm about to walk out of this place. One-Eyed Willie. And One-Eyed Willie is a pirate, right? He was a pirate. And he decided that rather than allowing anyone else to get uh, their hands on his treasure, that he would just kind of get tucked away in a cave and that, and that they would all just die with this treasure. And that's exactly what happened. And so finally the boy said, yes, we're going to go. And so they, they begin this great epic journey. And they, and they go, they find this what looks like an abandoned house where it's supposed to start. And then they, they find the secret entryway under the fireplace. I mean, how cool is that? And, and then they're met with the Fratelli brothers. Do you remember the Fratelli? brothers? Oh, these guys were scary, but nowhere near as scary as Mama Fratelli, who's really scary. And, and, and they, they, they start going through all of these different adventures, and they have booby traps, and they've got this great water slide, and they meet this, this creature, what seems like a creature named Sloth, who loves what kind of candy? Baby Ruth. You guys are picking up on this. <laughs> who loves Baby Ruth? And, and throughout this time, uh, Mikey and Data and Chunk uh, all of these are all people, all kids, and, and, and their skills, their gifts are all used at some point in this great adventure until finally they discover the treasure. And, and then at the end, they're all out there on the beach, and their families have found them, and you can just feel that, that the Goonies are so close now, and everything is so great. And, and as I was thinking about this particular passage and its words like treasures and mystery and secrets and hidden and reveal. I thought this is, this is talking about Goonies in some way. And I really don't think it's just incidental. Now, I'm not going to tell you that I think that Paul knew Goonies was going to come along, though I'm sure he celebrated it when it did. But I do think that what Paul is doing is pushing us beyond this kind of checklist of faith that says, here are the certain things that you are having to do. Rather, Paul is showing us that the lens through which we should understand how we grow in faith, how we understand our faith, even how we understand Scripture, is not like a manual, but like a journey. 
like something that we are continuing to try and discover in the treasures that are Christ. That this is the way in which we are supposed to understand faith. And as I was kind of thinking more and more about, uh, about that, I, I started, you know, sometimes, and I, I get offended at this, sometimes people think that uh, pastors only work one hour a week on Sundays. And I say, no, we spend a lot more time than that Googling things during the week. And so that's what I, that's what I did this week. And as I was Googling things, uh, I, I, I stumbled, Googling Goonies, I stumbled upon this, this poster. Can you show, now I know you may not be able to read this, but I want to read it to you, okay? Up there on the upper right-hand side, okay? Now, this is a classic poster. It says, they call themselves the Goonies, the secret caves, the old lighthouse, the lost map, the treacherous traps, the hidden treasure, and sloth. And then it says at the very end, join the adventure. And this, I think, is exactly what Paul is trying to do when he uses these words to describe this Part of the passage. He is trying to get us to see that we are called to join the adventure of faith. That this is not about checklists. That this is not about simply getting a golden ticket to heaven or teaching our children good morals. That this is a call to join an adventure in the mission of discovering the treasure of Christ. And that, sisters and brothers, is much more than just reading everything like it is a manual. And where was Paul when he was writing this? He was in jail. Paul knew the risk. And here's why I think we choose to not understand our faith as an adventure. Which is because, just as the Goonies discovered... Every adventure requires risk. Every adventure requires vulnerability, taking chances, moments of fear. And why did these words just roll off of Paul's tongue? Because he was actually living that For far too long, it seems to me, we, in our comfortable American churches, have forgotten that our faith is called to be an adventure, a mission going somewhere, and that inevitably, that will require us taking risks. Now, I, I love the way the Spirit of God works. Because I have to tell you, that I had nothing in doing. I did not foresee, as we kind of started this, this look at Colossians, that this would be the exact Sunday when we would be talking about short-term mission trips. It's just the way it seems to me that the Spirit of God works because I can't think of a better passage to think about when it comes to short-term mission trips than thinking about adventurous, risky now, I've gone on quite a few short-term mission trips. I've, I've led a fair amount here in the U.S. And, uh, and away from the United States. And I can tell you, beyond the shadow of a doubt, at some point, usually more than at one point, when we're in the middle of that mission trip, I think to myself, man, why am I here? I really want to go 
Now, I'm usually the leader at these things, and so I, I fake it, okay? But oftentimes, it comes about the first or second night, right about the middle of the night. I don't sleep real well, and I sleep even worse on mission trips. If you've ever been on a mission trip, you know that typically you're, you know, maybe you're on an air mattress, and everyone says, oh, great, it's an air mattress. No, ain't no mattress. <laughs> okay? And I'm usually stuck with about 15 or 20 older gentlemen who snore. I don't know how these wives sleep. Right? And then, I, and then I, at one time, and Megan was, was, was with me on this trip, and we were in Tijuana, there was a dog right outside our door who, I kid you not, barked all night long. It's miserable. So go sign up. <laughs> no. No, but hear me. Let me finish. Which is that inevitably as well, Usually about the second to the last night or the last night, I say to myself, man, I am so glad that I came to this. I mean, what a remarkable journey. And I don't, I don't think I'm alone in that. I mean, obviously, we heard Carrie, but I, 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 if I were a betting man, I would say probably about 100% of the time, when mission communities come back, when these folks who have gone on mission trips come back, you will hear at least once, if not twice or more, we went in order to give, we went in order to try to make a change, make a difference, and we were the ones who received even more. We were the ones who were changed. Do you know what that is? That is a group of people who have matured in their understanding of the treasure of Christ, which is exactly what Paul was talking about. And that means the times when you see most maturation, when you grow most in your understanding of the knowledge of who Jesus Christ is and the treasure of Christ is, is when you are willing to take risks, to go out on your own, to not do it underneath your own power, but in the energy and the power of God, which is exactly what Paul talks about. Not only that, but when you come back, you have this kind of special, unique bond with those people who, with whom you went. I mean, there is no bond like that bond of having traveled someplace away from home, and all of a sudden, you feel so much closer. It's why when people come back from Mexico, right, for the next two or three months, every time they see each other, they're like, hey, pasa! It's not because they're just kind of trying to remember their Spanish it's because it's a symbol of everything that they shared together, of growing in their understanding of what it means to use Paul's words of being united with love. So by all means, when you leave this place and go into the gathering space, talk to one of these people about short-term missions. But there is one warning. Which is that, it's been pointed out, and I think rightfully so, that when people come back from those mission trips, they are on fire for Christ. And yet that fire begins to wane. And I think that's a tragedy. You see, a part of the problem that we have is that churches in America, I think, have been really good at saying, go get them. Go take a risk in Kentucky or in Egypt or in Mexico. But we have rarely said, go get them. 
Go take a risk on 116th Street or Michigan or Main Street or Pine. We have not done a good job of cultivating communities where they understand that faith is supposed to be a risky adventure always. Here and abroad. And one of the things that we have to do is begin to cultivate an environment that says, take chances, take risks, be fearful for your faith at times. Here and across the globe. And it's for that reason, it seems to me, that one of the best places that we can begin doing that is, as I said last week, right A great beginning point for beginning to see what it means to get out of your comfort zone and to take some risk, as simple as it may sound, is for you to begin taking more risk within these walls. Every church that I know, I have never known one church that has not said, we are friendly. And every church I've ever been a part of has been very friendly. As long as you knew them. And one of the things that we see when people come in, especially the longer you've been here, is that you begin to find the people whom you know and you like. And I want you to know that a part of your call when you come into this place as being on the mission, the risky, adventurous mission of God, is to get out of your comfort zone, to go up to somebody who is perhaps a visitor or maybe someone who's been here for 30 years but whom you do not know and say, Hi, I'm Jerry. What's your name again? We have to begin practicing here. It doesn't end there, but it begins by practicing here so that we can begin, as I said last week, begin to practice that so that then when we go out, it comes off more easily. We can begin to take those risks more easily. We can begin to understand as we meet the stranger where the treasure of Christ might be inside of them. And I'm not letting you off the hook. Last week, we ended about three minutes early. I remember those three minutes, and I'm using them this morning. <laughs> you have three minutes, and I'll tell you what, if it was somebody else up here and I was in the congregation where you were right now, I'd be like, oh, you've got to be kidding me, but I'm not. I want you to get up, and I want you to find somebody who you do not know. I see the eyes rolling. And I want you to ask them, what is something that is quite interesting about you that most people probably don't know? And that you clearly don't know. Okay? Three minutes. I'll give you a one-minute warning. I'm going to be standing here, although I'm not going to talk to you, Scott, but I'll talk to somebody else. And I want to make sure that you're talking to somebody, okay? What are we waiting on? Let's go. Up. Let's go.
45 seconds, 45 seconds. All right, you can see these people out in the gathering space afterwards. Come on. You know what? Just stop right where you are. You don't have to go back to your seat. Just stay right there. Just stay right there. You guys don't know a lot of people. But this is beautiful. And here's what I want you to do. Continue this. Continue this, this practice of getting out of your comfort zone. There are fascinating brothers and sisters in Christ around here. Get to know them. Begin taking chances. Don't be content to just be where you are. That is a checklist, a manual type of faith. Be a people of adventure. Have a goonie kind of faith. Be goonie Christians, if you will. And as you are going about and as you are journeying, doing that as a community, you will grow closer to one another. You will become more united in your faith. May that be the people who we are called to be. Sisters and brothers in Christ, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and may the love of God, the communion of the Holy Spirit, may that treasure be all that we seek from now until the end of time and Christ the treasure returns. Hallelujah. Amen? Amen. Amen.